We are Living by the Word Ministries, a nonprofit organization dedicated to one cause. That cause is the truth given in the Holy Bible, which we believe is the inerrant and infallible Word of God, conferred to man to live by. We let the Word of God be the final authority as to what is or is not true. We strongly feel that if we do not expose false doctrine, we only encourage it. This ministry is designed to challenge you from an apologetic point of view. 1 Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is Michael Tinsley. Please stay tuned while we arm you, the believer, to keep living by the word. It's the noble thing to do. Yes, yes, indeed. It is a noble thing to do to keep living by the word. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing well. Good. What did you call me for? I need you to turn my ears up a little bit. Turn your ears up. We have to talk about that. This is a live radio, Brian. I Ladies and gentlemen, you are uh, welcome to visit us here at Living by the Word Ministries presentation of the Bible Information Brokers. You here are listening to live radio, and I'll introduce the teammates to you momentarily, but I want to give you an opportunity to call in right now with your open, honest question, and we desire from the Bible Information Brokers perspective to give you a biblical response. You're going through things in life just like we all are doing that. We have issues that we have to deal with. We're, we're reading the Bible. Um, that's what a, what a concept for a believer. And we have things that we have questions about. Uh, you go to church, you hear uh, sermons, you uh, Bible studies, you talk to your friends and neighbors, you know, at the job, uh, things are happening in life. And you might want to know what's the biblical perspective on those various issues, the vicissitudes of life that you're going through. And we desire to give you a biblical response. So give us a call right now. We have Brother Daryl ready to receive your phone call. Uh, the other Daryl with a Y. We say it like that to make a distinction because that's how the girls spell Daryl with a Y, but we'll talk about that later. It's an inside joke. You're so cold. But, <laughs> but you can call Daryl with a Y at one triple eight la talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. I'll give that number quite a few times, one triple eight five two eight two five five seven or one triple eight la talks Please, if you're on the Internet, you can go to our website and, uh, and you can navigate there and send us an email response. But if you want to be quick and do it in the email address, because you don't have time to go to the website, you can just simply put in the address box, questions at Bible Info Brokers, questions at BibleInfoBrokers.com, and send us an email question. We have quite a few from last week we're going to deal with uh, this week, but we desire to get your phone calls going, so take an opportunity in the earlier part of the show to call in now. Yes, please go ahead and call in right now and be one of the first to get your questions on this live presentation of the Bible Information Brokers. Um, I'm going to introduce to you my other teammates right now, uh, the one that you heard in live radio speaking my name earlier, uh, being Daryl D. Fulton is Brian Allen. How you doing, B.A.? Doing good, man. How you doing? Doing well, sir. It's good to see Are you. Are your ears doing better now? Yeah, I am. Okay. It's, it's just that, that 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 jacket you have on is just disturbing, well, but that's okay. It shouldn't be disturbing. They lost, didn't they? Yeah, I know, but still. The jacket messes you up? I wanted to bring balance to an unbalanced world, and PCH, <laughs> what you don't understand, I'm wearing a jacket that has some uh, initials that start with a U and ends with a L-A, and you can figure out the other letter in there. And I just want to bring balance to an unbalanced world as far as those sports <clears throat> are concerned. Uh, that, that professor I just named was PCH, Professor Craig Hawkins. How you doing, PCH? I'm doing well. Good, good. Listen, gentlemen, we're going to... Um, to get these phone calls going and uh, take as many questions as we can tonight as we normally do. But Brian, do you have anything going on that you want to talk about? No, I was just saying, you know, I uh, it wasn't here last week, but I, I did get the emails and I was like, I was asking you, did you, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of questions uh, via email. I didn't know if you guys got to them or not. 
I'm going to try to pull them up right now. Very good. Uh, PCH, um, what we were dealing with some uh, the questions last week, just like we deal with questions every week, and we have this format, folks, because um, you know we feel like it's the, it's the best way to give you, the listening audience, an opportunity to uh, get the questions that you desire to hear answered. And we know that when one person is asking questions, we, we figure that many other people have a similar question, and when we're answering questions from one person, we're, we're talking to the listening audience. I know some of you have issues that you're going through in life. Uh, you know, you, you really request prayer, and sometimes we do pray for folks on this broadcast, but it's not the format. The format is basically a question-and-answer format. And we just, um, for those of you that are church or unchurched and you're a believer or not believer, um, this program is for all of you because what we decide to do by being a Bible information brokers is to broker the answer from a biblical perspective. Do we know everything? No. We'll let you know if we don't have what we believe the, uh, the right answer is or we don't have an answer for that because we just don't know everything. Well, at least I know I don't, and Professor already admitted, but I think Brian is in that uh, realm that he may know quite a bit, right, B? More than, more than most. No, I'm just playing around with Brian. But, ladies and gentlemen, no, this broadcast, go ahead and call in. one la talks one 528 We do want to receive your phone call and give you a biblical answer. And, Daryl, if they want, they can email us uh, as well. Right. Uh, I gave the email address, and I'll give it again. That's questions at BibleInfoBrokers.com. Or if you go to our website, you can navigate there and send questions right there by contact us. You can click a mouse there. You can see what's on our website. You can see the various resources we have. And you also can send us a question by way of Facebook and see some of the, uh, the things that uh, this ministry is involved with. So take the opportunity to do that and uh, take the opportunity to go ahead and call in now at one triple eight. LA Talks, one 528 2557B. Yeah, and if you haven't been to the website in a while on uh, the Facebook site, uh, you can look at the pictures uh, from Craig's uh, uh, missionary uh, trips, and I'm going to put those on our website as well, but they're on the Facebook page. And so if you haven't been on there, you can uh, go on Facebook to go to Bible Info Brokers, Bible Information Brokers, and they'll be up there. Do they have to friend us? Because I remember there was a big uh, ongoing. They don't have there, to friend Craig. you. Great. Uh, shouldn't we be friend there if they go there, Craig? Uh, yeah. As much as we know about Facebook. <laughs> hey, did you guys? Uh, uh, again, like I was in here last week. You said that already. And uh, I saw there was a lot of questions. Did you guys uh, deal with Alan's questions regarding a God and Jehovah Witnesses? No, you didn't. I know we we dealt with this before, but um, I mean, obviously we answer. A lot of questions, uh, the same questions a lot of times, but uh, it's new to the people that answer. But you want to start with that? Yeah, Al- Alan says, good evening, LBTW team. Rather than uh, sit here and try and come up with possible explanations to the Jehovah Witnesses' use of a God in John 1-1, decided I save myself from a migraine and pass <laughs> the question to those better equipped to answer it. So then, do you know what the, J- the JW explanation for a God is? Are there any other small g gods in the Bible? Does their Bible maintain God will not share His glory with any other? And does it? Uh, and and does it then say, uh, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, uh, of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of the glory and uh, to the glory of God the Father? Philippians two eleven and twelve. Uh, now that even angels will allow man to bow down to them. So I just wonder what a God means to the Jehovah Witnesses. Thank you, and God bless. That's from Alan. So, you know, Craig um, and Alan, uh, one of the things that, you know, the Jehovah Witnesses do with their New World Translation, uh, I don't even consider it a, uh, a rendition of the Bible, 
or a, a tra- or a Bible translation. I just call it, you know, their their form of uh, uh, their they call it their Bible, but I'm not going to call it that. But they have certain doctrines, uh, Craig, that uh, they hold to and that they believe and they stand on. But their doctrine contradicts what the the Bible teaches. So in order for them to uh, for, for in order for their New World translation to fit what they believe, they have to make some changes. Uh, I know they have a God in there in John one one. I know they add the word other uh, in in uh, certain passages, and they do that just to show in uh, their beliefs or to uh, to prove or to try to prove that. Uh, with their belief that Jesus is not God, and that's why they call him a God, and that's why they say he didn't create all things, he created all other things. So, Craig, I think they do that, and they make these changes just so it could fit to their doctrine and what they believe. Well, well, it is, Brian, and it's it's actually what, something we all have to watch is we don't isogete Scripture. We don't just read our views, what we want the Bible uh, to say, to read that into the Bible. Uh, even many Christians commonly come to the Bible or have something in mind, and they read it into the text, whether it's there or not. Uh, what we need to do is exegete, which literally means to take out of, take out from, in this case, the Bible, and see what it says. And we use uh, what we call the grammatical historical method and to look at grammar and the historic context of the meaning of the words in, in context at that time and place in history, to try to drive the meaning. And so, so yes, the, Charles T. Russell, the founder of the Watchtower, uh, basically had this view that Jesus was a divine-like being. He was like a semi-deity. Uh, but he's not fully divine, or at least he's not almighty God, I guess I should say. He's divine, but he's not, uh, he's not almighty. He's powerful, but he's not all-powerful. So only Yahweh or Jehovah, they would say, is all-powerful. Jesus is a created being, the first and greatest of God's creation, mm-hmm. but nonetheless a created being. And so uh, God the Father creates him, and then Jesus creates everything else. That's the argument. Uh, that's the view. The problem is that's not what the Bible teaches. Now, I have a free handout uh, called uh, Jesus is Je- Yahweh or Jehovah, and we go through and show you passages from the Old and the New Testament, for example, uh, Yahweh will be referenced in the Old Testament, let's say, for example, Joel 2, 30-32. And then we look in the New Testament, for example, we see that quoted in Romans chapter 10, for example, verses 12-13, and it's applied to Jesus. And yet, as we look in the Old Testament, it's clearly referring to Yahweh or Jehovah, and it applies it to Jesus. And so, yeah, so exactly, uh, he... he he is Almighty God. He's not the Father, but He is the Son of God. So the, since they don't believe in the Trinity either, they, they have real trouble with that because they just say, well, then He would be the Father. And, and that's, no, that's not what it's saying. He, the Father is divine, the Son is divine, and the, we would argue the Holy Spirit's divine, who they think is just the power or agency of mind of God and not a distinct person. And so, but we make the point that the three are the one God. They're not three gods, they're one God, who's eternally three persons, just as we can say. And it's, it's, the analogy breaks down, but I'll use it for lack of a better term. And then let's, let's play some hardball. Let's deal with Greek. Let's have a Greek uh, 401 question, okay? Or lesson, I should say. So if I say, 
Daryl uh, or Easy is is human. Say you or Brian's human, and I'm human. I'm not you. You're not me, Brian. Brian's not you, Brian. You're not Daryl. Daryl's not you or me. But we are human. That is, we share the nature or characteristics of being human. However, it just so happens that there are actually billions of people who share the characteristics of being human, whereas the characteristics of God is only eternally three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so it's bad theology, number one, and then they try to find it in the Bible, and then, since most of them don't know Greek or they butcher it, to be honest, uh, then they mess up the passage. Um, I remember even in Greek 101 uh, going, and I knew this, I went to one of my professors and said, you know, here's a rendition of John 1-1. What do you think of this? And they looked at me like, what are you, crazy? Hawkins, have you been paying attention? You can't do that. That's not what that would mean. And I gave them John 1-1. And so what is John 1-1? Brian, would you read it in English? Would you mind doing that for us? Uh, John 1, in the, be- in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and in fact, would you read actually through John 1-3? Uh, Would you do that? Okay. All right. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Okay. So uh, let me explain this, and then let me give it to you in Greek, and then give everybody a little uh, basic Greek grammar lesson. Okay? So... In the beginning, literally in the Greek text, there is not the, the word the is not there, but it is an arche. An arche ain't halagas. In the beginning was the word. Let me just say this. The, the, the Greek word for word is logos, and it's what's called a masculine noun, so it has the definite article, or the article, I should say, is ha. It's an O with a rough breathing mark. A, a, a rough breathing mark is, think of a comma only turned around. So make a comma, just turn it around. It's called a rough breathing, breathing mark. Uh, there's no H in uh, Hebrew, uh, Hebrew uh, Greek, mm-hmm. so they, it, so you put it in here. Uh, it's by a rough breathing mark. So, anyways, in the let me just do this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, right? In some sense, literally face to face, or He's with with God in some sense, and yet He is God in some sense. Now, this is sheer raving nonsense, or it means it in a different sense, and that is Jesus is the Son of God. Yet he is there already prior, before the beginning of creation, in existence, face-to-face, prostanteion in Greek, with the Father, with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, so I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. And then, uh, so he was there in the beginning with God. And then let me make this point, then I'm going to come back and exegete in detail John 1, 1, 1, 2. We haven't done this in a while. Let's do it, Okay. Uh, and Greek, let me just read it in Greek. It's panta dia tu agenita, kai karis ato agenita udehen ha gegenen. Literally, everything. That's the Greek word panta. That means everything. There's no stronger word. Everything that had a beginning. A panta dia tu agenita. Everything that had a beginning. Everything that had an origin. Everything that has a birthday or there's a day or a time when it does not exist. Everything that has an origin. He created it. Everything. By the way, if if he was created himself, then he would have to create himself. He would have to exist before he existed, because he created not every other thing. There's the word alas or heteros or not for other or not used here. It is only the word. It's the word panta. Boom. So he he. How could he create himself 
if he created everything. And that, and, that's, a, and that's why the Jehovah Witnesses have to put other in there, which you'll never find in any Greek manuscript at all. Right. If you go to Colossians 1, 14, 15, and Ephesians 1, it doesn't say all other things. It says everything, all beings, if you will, all things. But so, yeah, so just notice the argument. Do, let me do it this way. In your mind, folks, make a chart. Put a chart, put a, uh, put a, uh, a horizontal bar across it, and on the left-hand side put created things, created beings. So created things, T-H-I-N-G-S, slash beings, B-E-I-N-G-S. On the other side put non-created things, non-created beings. So start with the left side. What's, what's created? Well, like everything, you, me, uh, the world, the kitchen sink, your car, blah, 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 blah. What, what, what goes into the uncreated category? Angels? No, they're created. Um, humans? No, again, we're created. God's the only being, the only thing, he's actually a being, the only being, the only thing that goes in the uncreated category is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's where Jesus is. And Jesus himself created everything, not every other thing. Everything that was created, everything that had a time when it did not exist, or we could say everything that has a birthday for humans or sentient beings, he created. That's why it's so powerful in the Greek text, Pantadia to Agenita. And so it literally says everything that had a beginning, everything that has an origin, uh, he created. Literally, kai karis atu agenita udehen ha gegenen. There's one. There's not one thing. No, not one. The Greek is so emphatic. There's not one thing. No, not one that was created that he didn't create. I mean, that that's a logical and that's an exegetical argument. You can't get much clearer than that. But now let's explain. Let's just, let me just give a little grammar lesson and then let me read John one one again in, in Greek. And John one two, and then explain this uh, as clearly as I can. Um, so we have what in English we would say articles. Now some people call them definite articles. There's a debate whether you call it an article or a definite article. Uh, but either way, here's the point: if I say the man, uh, the man is coming to dinner, or what have you, that's a specific man. That's not any man. That's not the generic man. That's not humanity. That is a particular man. It's definite. That's so what we call the definite article. The article means the man, right? As opposed, if I say, for example, a dog is roaming, uh, a dog is loose and roaming on the streets. That could be any dog, a dog or dogs, if you will. That's we call that indefinite, right? And so, typically, um, uh, when when we use the definite article, then we mean we're, we're referring to a specific person or being, if you will. And if it's indefinite, it could be any. So, for example, take the word God. Now, it just so happens that the word for God is theos, T-H-E-O-S. Remember, the word for word is logos, L-O-G-O-S. But they both take the definite article, the masculine article, ha. Now, what happens is, what if they're the same case? What is case? Think of things like like, um, uh, accusative, which is a direct object, dative, for example, an indirect object, right? Uh, a nominative. A nominative is a subject. It's a fancy way of saying the subject. But what do you do if you have a sentence where you have God and the word logos, and how do you tell which is a subject and, and which one's not? Sometimes we have what's called a predicate nominative. A predicate, a predicate nominative is just a fancy way 
of saying that the subject appears again in the predicate. What's the predicate? The part of the sentence after the main verb, right? Now, I know this sounds really complicated and difficult, but this is a basic grammar lesson. This is stuff our kids learn in grade school, right? Yeah, it sounds complicated and technical right now. By the way, I would encourage people to get a copy of this. They can do that in a couple of days. It will be loaded up, right, men? Yes. And they can listen to this. And so then they can they go back and listen to this several times. But all we're doing is trying to figure out when you have two nouns that are in the same case, that have the same uh, article, um, which, which one's the subject and which one's the verb. Well, in Greek, there's a way to do that. And that is the subject gets the, 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 subject gets the definite article, and the, the, for example, the direct object, indirect object, what have you, does not get the article. And, and so that's how you know what's the subject and what is the predicate nominative or, or direct object or what have you. If I say, for example, uh, Brian hit the ball too easy, right? There's three nouns in there, right? Brian, subject, hit what? Direct object, the ball. Mm-hmm. Dative to whom? To, to easy. Mm-hmm. That's a business, again, I know, I want to say again, sounds difficult. This is basic grammar. This is stuff all our kids learn in grade school. Only we're doing it in Greek. So, one more time. Ein arche ein halagas. In the beginning was the word. Kai halagas ein prostantheon. And the word was with God. Kai theos ein halagas. And the word was God. The word was, if you will, literally divine. Now, it just so happens, in dealing with this issue with someone else years ago, I wrote something, and then I quoted the great, the great Greek scholar A.T. Robertson. The question was on John 1.1, and it was, why, why is the word logos what's called fronted? It's called fronting. In Greek, if you want to emphasize something, you front it. Front it is just a fancy way of saying you take the subject and put it as close as possible to the beginning of the sentence. Why would Greeks do this? Because they don't have exclamation points, right? So if they want to show you emphasis, they would take this noun in question and put it as close as possible to the beginning of the sentence. So this, this explanation mentions fronting, and I just explained fronting. So I've already read John 1, 1 through 1, 3 in Greek, and now let me just read a paragraph of mine and then a paragraph of the great A.T. Robertson from his a grammar of the Greek New Testament in light of historical research. Uh, by the way, only about 1,800 pages. At uh, <laughs> uh, one time, the definitive Greek grammar. That's A.T. Robertson, a grammar of the Greek New Testament in light of historical research. <clears throat> it's a mere uh, uh, 1,800 pages. So here we go. So, so put your thinking caps back on again, folks, one more time. Here we go. Indeed, it is certainly the case that words are fronted for emphasis in Greek. However, this is just one point just one, why some New Testament scholars explain why John 1 is written the way it is. Only in one sense can one, quote, swap the terms of the sentence and preserve the basic meaning. Indeed, this, the ability to change word order and still, in essence, say the same thing, is due to the absence or presence of the article, the, and the use of what are called inflected endings. Uh, ending such as that show whether the word is in the nominative, genitive, dative, or accusative case. Okay, let me just stop and explain. So article, the, versus uh, an indefinite article. Now, in Greek, they just don't have the article. That means typically, many times, not always, it's indefinite. We will even have, we have an indefinite article. We say a, right? 
Uh, if we want one way to show that it's indefinite, we would use the t word A, literally just the letter A. Where in Greek you don't do that, you simply just don't have the article sometimes. So the Greek is different. English is typically what's called the subject-verb-object uh, order language. Subject, verb, object. Typically, our sentences go in that order. You can add indirect objects and all that good stuff, adjectives, adverbs, but that's the basic order. Greek, however, you can change words around um, not almost, almost any way you want, almost. And the reason is, is because the words have endings on them that tell you, is this nominative, that is the subject? Is it, is it for example, uh, is it um, accusative, the direct object, or is it agendative, if you will, possession, for example, or is it data, for example, the indirect object? So that's what we're talking about. So again, the ability to change word order and still, in essence, say the same thing is due to the absence or presence of the article, the, and the use of inflected endings, endings that show whether a word is in the nominative, genitive, dative, or accusative case. Without the use of the article for at least one of the words in a clause, one cannot just swap the word order in Greek. Furthermore, in Koine Greek, only some subjects and predicate nominatives can be swapped. Only some subjects and predicate nominatives are convertible propositions type. Relative to John 1.1, note the following comment. So, now, I know some people have said, well, that English sentence you just read is Greek to me, Craig. <laughs> and, and, and what I want to say is, is something like this. Let me use this, and it's actually a, a verse. For example, John 4.24, God is spirit. So you understand that. God is spirit. But can I swap those terms, and does it mean the same thing? If I say spirit is God, is that true biblically? No. God is spirit, but it's not equally true. If we swap the terms, spirit is God. There are spirits that are angels, evil and elect. There's the spirit of the age. There's the human spirit, what have you. There are things that are spirit that are not God. And so we can't swap the terms. Now, now with all that in place, now let me read I, what I think is, is the clarifying paragraph and just make some final comments. Now, I know I spent a lot of time on this, but look, folks, it's okay to get out of the first grade sometimes, Sunday school, and play, uh, go a little deeper and, and try to understand and wrestle with the Word of God and get, I would argue, some insights into the Word of God, into God himself, that he gives us in his Bible. So here we go. <clears throat> This is A.T. Robson, quote, By exact and careful language, John denied Sabellianism by not saying haseas ain halagas. That would mean that all of God was expressed in halagas, and the terms would be interchangeable, each having the article. Now let me explain that. Sabellianism is what's called modalism, a form. It would be saying that all of the, uh, there's not only one God, there's only one person in the Godhead. So in this case, if it literally read Halagas in, uh, excuse me, if it said Hatheos, it would be saying Jesus is all of the Godhead. So Jesus would be the Father, the Holy Spirit. He would be all of them. And that, that's heresy. That's sabellianism. That's modalism. If you will, John 1 1 equally avoids two perils theologically. It avoids sabellianism, one form of modalism, and it avoids polytheism. So John is neither saying from the pristine Greek that he writes, He's not saying that Jesus is the Father and the Holy Spirit. He's the whole, the entirety of the Godhead. He's saying he's divine, but he's not, in essence, the Father, and he's not the Holy Spirit. But he's also denying polytheism. He's not saying there's multiple gods. So one more time now with that in place. By exact and careful language, John denied Sabellianism by not saying 
Haseos ein halagos. In other words, he doesn't put the article on Theos because that would, which is a predicate nominative, because then it would say Jesus is the whole Godhead. Right. That would mean that all of God was expressed in Haseos. That is the word, and the terms would be interchangeable, each having the article. The subject is made plain by the article Ha Lagos, and the predicate nominative without it Theos. Just as in John 4.24, Numa Haseos can only mean God is spirit, not spirit is God. So in 1 John 4.16, Haseos Agape Esten can only mean God is love, not love is God. As a so-called Christian scientist would confusedly say, for the article with the predicate C. Robertson, his grammar, a grammar of the Greek New Testament in the light of historical research, pages 767 and following. So, in John 1.14, Halagas sarks againenta, the word became flesh, not the flesh became mm-hmm. word, end quote. Makes all the sense in the world when you just break it down, uh, like sort of like that one-on-one lesson. Yeah. And, and, and I do like to, uh, for Alan, recommend a book to him. It's uh, by Dr. Bowman. It's called Jehovah Witnesses, Jesus Christ, and the Gospel of John. There's some really good stuff in there, yeah. too, and, and yeah, in Craig's paper as well. Yeah, now let me just say this uh, one more time. Uh, some people want to go, oh, wow, thanks for that explanation. I, I'm, I'm sorry he ever asked, or I ever asked. <laughs> and I have a headache. I got this migraine or Charlie horse between the ears. And, and again, so, Daryl, as you said, I know it sounds difficult, but this really is basic grammar that people write every day. And so I would encourage you, if you want to understand this, if you want to get your mind around this, you can get the resources Brian just mentioned, or really you can just, when, when this is uploaded to our website, go listen to it four or five times, take your time, come back to it, stop and think it through, and it'll be very, very clear. At least it's very, very straightforward what I'm saying. It just sounds very difficult when I put it all in one setting. When you get all of this in 10, 15 minutes, it just sounds incredibly difficult. But trust me, your children do this daily at school. In you know, grade school. And, and, and I'll just say this, Craig, just to, just to add on to the idea that if uh, people read the Bible and they think that you're doing some kind of uh, favor for, for God or for your church or for the people you hang around and just say, so I read the Bible, uh, that's, that's not what the, the impetus should be. The impetus should be that you have, if God said something and you claim that you are a lover of God, you claim that he saved your wretched soul, then you should want to know Oh, why he did it? Because people are going to have questions to you. I know I deal with folks every day, believer and non-believer alike, and they have questions. They're concerned. They don't have uh, we, this. This type of show is not on every doggone day of the week, and uh, to have the privilege of being able to get some uh, uh, common denominators in your beliefism and understand why you believe what you believe is important. You don't have to necessarily break down the Greek like Craig did, but like he said, it's just basically what language is explained. It's this. It's the. the it's, it's like he said. Brian hit easy the ball, and it's it's a it's a breakdown to that. So we need to know why the Bible says what it says, especially with the essentials of what we believe. We need to at least understand those essentials. Well, one of the essentials is a number you can call, which is one triple eight LA Talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. My good friend Daryl is ready to receive your phone call right now. I see you there, um, um, Alex and Steve, and we're going to get to those calls momentarily. Uh, it's, but right now, let me do this. 
let me uh, take an opportunity while we're at the bottom of the first hour to let you know that this is a, a faith-supported ministry. We do need to have your help financially. And, Brian, if you could just tell the people real quickly and we get to these phone calls after that, how they can give to this ministry, whereby they know that the money is going directly to it. And also let us share with them about uh, storing up some, uh, uh, some, uh, some bucks for Craig's future trip, man. We was talking about that last week, and I'd like to get a, a, almost like a war chest, war chest for that. Yeah, real, real simple, Gerald. They can uh, they go right to our website. They can go to uh, BibleInfoBrokers.com, BibleInfoBrokers.com, real simple. Click on the link that says Support and Donate, and you can give right then and there. Real, real simple. The funds come to us directly. Uh, don't have to wait, and, um, and uh, you could do it, uh, and that's one form of, of way you can give. The other way is if you want to, you can... Go through the snail mail. You can write a check, money order, or cash a check, whoever you want to do it. And you can send it out to, um, mail it out to BIB-LBTW. That's at P.O. Box 90477. Once again, P.O. Box 90477 in Los Angeles, uh, 90009. Once again, P.O. Box 90477, Los Angeles, 9009. Really appreciate that, Brian. And the reason why I did it uh, as early as we did is because I, I remember uh, when I was out of town, you guys didn't do it at all one whole week. And I was listening. I said, oh, and I'll watch when we go have some issues that then they'll, you know, say, hey, we forgot to ask. or we want to make sure that we're consistently asking folks and let them know what our need is uh, to maintain the, the broadcast and also all the various associated costs. No payments for anybody sour here. Brian, myself, our PCH, and Daryl definitely don't get any uh, payments for doing what he's doing, but we are Appreciate your support in advance. Let's go to the phone calls, Brian. Ask people call one triple eight LA Talks, one triple eight five two eight two five five seven, or send us email questions like they did last week. Go ahead and send those email questions uh, in your email address box. Write out questions at bibleinfobrokers.com. Questions at bibleinfobrokers.com, or go to our website bibleinfobrokers.com and just click contact us. Just another quicker way to do that. Send us a question by way of email. Let's go to Alex from the city of Los Angeles. Thanks for calling on and holding on, Alex. Hey, how are you guys? Doing well, my brother. What's your question for the night? Hey, um, so was Jesus really buried, or was he in the, um, in the ground for three days or three nights? Because um, upon reading, um, some people say that the moment from when he was crucified and he died to when he rose again, that that doesn't add up to three days. Context, context, context. Brian, Craig, what what seems to be strange about that? Well, I'm going to let Craig deal with that uh, because, you know, they you got to look at how is a day defined mm -hmm. as context, well mm -hmm. in, in, in the proper context. And I, and I would say, by all means, he was, uh, you know, he he was, uh, uh, he was, he died and was buried and uh, he rose on the third day. Craig, why don't you give the the explanation of uh, a day and how that all works out? Right. Jewish reckoning is any part of a day is counted as a day. Even the, the Hebrew word yom can literally be 12 hours, uh, 24 hours, which we would call a day, technically 24 hours in essence, if you will. Um, but actually any fraction or part of a day was still considered a day. And so, you know, that's not how we reckon time. Of course, I need to point this out. 
now in the Near East they do this, but not here. How do we reckon time? Do we do we go from basically 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. or from sunrise to sunset, marking the new day? No. We reckon time by Roman reckoning, that is basically 12, right, 12 a.m., 12 p.m. In other words, 12.01 a.m. is a new day. But that's not how the Jews even reckon time today. So we reckon time differently than they do, uh, even today. And so classically, the Jewish reckoning was any part of a day still counts as a day. Now, so let me just say two things. And there's a great book called Chronicle, Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ. Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ by Harold Honer, H-O-E-H-N-E-R. H-O-E-H-N-E-R, Harold Honer. And he goes through this in great detail. It's written years ago. And, of course, he shows out, number one, Jesus wouldn't have been buried, uh, actually put in the tomb, that is, if you will, actually uh, towards the very end of Friday. That's part of, not much of a day, but it's still a day according to Jewish reckoning. Then, all day Saturday, and then for a smidgen, Saturday morning. According to Jewish reckoning, that is three days. Now, again, you may say, but that's not three days. No, that's not how we reckon three days. Look, if, if anybody's traveled the world today knows there's different customs. In some customs, places, you do not shake hands with people. You do not, you know, uh, to do that, it's a no-no. Some places, you're not to look people in the eyes, and some places, you are. Right. It's, a di- it's just a, it's a different culture. But also, Honer points out some believe it was indeed a double Sabbath, and some think actually Jesus was actually, um, actually crucified on Thursday and put in the tomb on Thursday, then all day Friday, all day Saturday, and then the smidgen, if you will. Either the smidgen would be literally at the very end or really technically at the beginning of Friday um, or, uh, or else c- c- counting the part of Sunday. It just depends how you do it, but either way, it's, it's f- closer to three days. And some literally believe it was actually on a Wednesday. Now, I don't hold the Wednesday-Thursday view. There's godly intelligent people who do. I would just postulate, I think, that the, 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 the calendar speaks to the issue of the actual time of Christ's death that it was indeed the, the smidgen of part of the day of, of Friday, all day Saturday, and then part of the smidgen of the day Sunday, and those are the three days according to Jewish reckoning. And, 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 oh, go ahead, Daryl. No, I was just going to say, Alex, uh, we accidentally dropped you. If you call back in, we'll bring you back in on the question, but go ahead, Brian. No, it, it's interesting, too, though, that, um, uh, you know, some people that you talk to, the questions, you know, the... Three days, well, it couldn't be three, but, you know, they don't have a problem with the resurrection. <laughs> you know what I mean? Here he rose. Don't have a problem with that, but, well, wait a minute. It's three days. You know, it's like uh, the important thing is, is that he rose from the dead. You know, we're not asserting that Alex is saying that, but no, we, just no, know, no. we know from the past that people it, argue, it, exactly. uh, argue the minutia oh, and figure about the magnificent event of resurrected from the dead. Exactly. Yeah, so. yeah, gotcha. well, yeah but the, the point is some people think that, okay, uh, they would even say, I have trouble with the, the, the resurrection of the dead, but this thing is so ludicrous, you can, you don't even have the number of days right. So there are these right. websites that will use this, or they'll say, look, here's the attributes of God as defined by the Bible. Now, they would say, we don't believe in God, period, and let alone that he's all omniscient, omnipotent, you know, omnipotent, if you will. And then they try to show that the attributes of God are incongruous. They are uh, contradictory. They cannot all exist. Right. So, so that's the idea, though, Brian, in fairness, is that they say, well, okay, look, 
even if you grant this resurrection from the dead stuff, which they're, they're, they're not going to subscribe to or struggle, it still seems to be a contradiction that it wasn't three days. And there's not a contradiction if you reckon time, not only as the Jews did, as they still do today. And Alex, I hope that's helpful. And if you're back on the line, and uh, I hope that uh, answers that question for you. But we appreciate your phone call and your question. And by no way, we're implying that that's what the way you were thinking. Let's go to um, Jerry in the city of El Monte. Jerry, thanks for holding on and calling in, my brother. Hi, brother. How you doing, sir? What's your question tonight? Um, confused. Okay. Is that a question mark at the end of it? <laughs> What's you confused uh, about, know, Jerry? This is the way, the truth, and the life. Yes. Can, a, can a, a Christians be a lousy pastor or a, a horrible pastor be a real good Christian? Wait, let me, let, me, let me see if I can break that down the way you just said it. Can a person be a, a lousy pastor but a good Christian? And a good Christian but a, a what? Say, how do you say that again? Can a Christian be a lousy pastor or a lousy pastor be a good Christian? Well, this, there's a whole lot of behind your question that I, I don't even know if we could get into. But uh, just to answer the question, uh, everybody's going to have some frailties in their in their Christianity, and so when you say lousy, you mean are they're they're practicing a particular thing that's not congruent to the Word of God? Is that what you're implying? Um, like taking the verses out of context and throwing some yeah. other stuff yeah the the, the, the yeah, yeah the person is not the person is not a lousy what they're doing is probably lousy uh, work we just talked about exegeting versus eisegeting just a while ago but PCH go ahead right no and I get the yeah, I just have to chuckle at no it's a great question <laughs> it's I just want to go where did you where did you come up with this what, did you spend, the way you were you up it. all night last night meditating or something. <laughs> <laughs> with Yoda meditating in the cave. Um, no, it's a great question, and, and the answer is yes. Um, there are, I, I, I've talked about this in a number of cases, and I'll give several different scenarios. There are people who really love God, and they are good Christians. That is, they love God, they want to serve Him. But they, they are horrible at handling the Bible. They're really bad. They eisegete, they read their views into a passage. They say things are just not there. Their theology is really badly, bad. They don't think well. And by that I mean rigorously, rigorously, logically, biblically. And so there are people, yeah, that really, they mean well. I, I was talking to someone and I, I made this point. We were watching somebody and they asked you, so what did you think of, what do you think of their theology? And I said, well, let me back up for a moment. I said, for what it's worth, because you're asking me, so just my opinion, what it's worth. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt this person's a Christian. For you know, again, what that's worth. My assessment is this person, I don't doubt, is a believer, and I don't doubt they love God. Now, in this case, this person, it was a female, thinks they're a pastor. I would dispute that. But at any rate, I said, I don't doubt they love God. I also don't doubt that their theology is horrible. I said, you know, we have people in our family who are our brothers and sisters, if you will. And I said, this person, I believe, is a sister in Christ. I think you're going to see her in heaven. I think there's actually a number of them actually were talking on TV at one time, and I at the same program. I said, I don't doubt from what I little I see and know that they're going to be in heaven, and they're going to even have some rewards and some good fruit because they did serve God. They meant well. They want to see people come to Jesus. They want to help deliver people from uh, human trafficking and all kinds of things. I said, but I also equally don't doubt that their theology is horrible. And I said, again, uh, you can have brothers and sisters in your family or that weird Uncle Freddy or 
you know, you know, Susie, Aunt Susie, you know, sorry if your name's Freddie or something. Yeah, that's my uncle uh, in New Orleans, you know, man. But, Be careful. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, who's, who, who's you know, they're, they're a dear relative, but they, they have these goofy, wacko ideas. And you just like, you, everybody rolls their eyes when they start talking about Bigfoot or whatever. And so, one more time, they're Christians, but they're, they have really bad views. Let me say this. God loves them. He knows them, and he's going to be correcting their theology in heaven. No, that's not true. I'm not like that. You know, and so there are people who get into the pastorate who, who love God, want to see people come to the Lord, want to see people grow, but they're just really bad at they, uh, counseling, for example. Uh, they're really bad at handling the Word of God. They're not mature enough. They don't have... Uh, the skill sets they need to handle. Look at John 1-1. That's just basic stuff, but some pastors can't do that. That, that, that. Those are basic skills for a pastor, I would say. And so, you know, yeah, I think there are people who are good Christians, Jerry, who are, are lousy pastors in the sense of they're not very good at pastoring. They give unbiblical advice. I cannot tell you the times I've heard advice that just is cringe-worthy, my kids would say. It's cringy. <laughs> Uh, you just go, oh, they didn't really say that. They told you, who told you what? Sometimes I've asked people, who told you this? And I find out it was a pastor, and you're like, oh, are you serious? And so we don't mean any disrespect. We're not trying to diss them. But uh, I'm going to say this one more time, especially in the 500th anniversary. I am a Protestant. I'm not into hero or celebrity worship. Uh, we should respect pastors and honor them, but particularly as they're faithful to God's Word. When a pastor utters nonsense, when they butcher Scripture, when they eisegete, when they say things with all the best intentions but are flat-out wrong or incorrect, or they mishandle the Word of God, they don't know basic grammar, or they say something again that just doesn't follow. You know, it doesn't mean we don't respect them and love them, but we can and should respectfully correct them and say, this is wrong, this is incorrect. And it doesn't matter that you're the pastor. We're not, I'm not Roman Catholic, and you're not the Pope. You make mistakes. My, I'm to be respectful and civil to you, uh, just as you should be respectful and civil to me if I'm not the pastor, just as an average John and Joan Q public or parishioner. But we are, our allegiance is to be to God and His Word, and so when pastors make mistakes, when they unintentionally or otherwise mishandle the Word of God, we can and should respectfully correct them. They are not the standard, and we've got to get off this hero worship and this celebrityism mm. of, you know, the great pastor so-and-so. With all due respect, you're not. You are an under-shepherd. The shepherd is Jesus. The apostle is Jesus. Um, and he's the one that we swear allegiance to, not any human. And so I just see this time and time again. There are really godly you know, people, uh, people I really believe love the Lord, and some are really are called the pastorate. We all make mistakes at times. All of us do. But if we are not open to correction, if we're not open to hear from anybody, uh, John and Joan Q. Public, that, Pastor, what about this? Bring to their attention something that's an issue that, Let's say they're teaching modalism or, or denying the bodily resurrection or, or what have you. Then there's a problem, and we should nonetheless insist. We should be Protestant in the sense of, show me from the Word of God. Let's be faithful to Scripture. I follow you as I would follow Paul if he was here, as he follows Jesus, as he follows his Word faithfully. When you depart from God's Word, when you say things, whatever your motives, with the best intentions, um, and that are wrong, 
I am not going to follow you. One last example, I go to the doctor, and she gives me some bad advice. I don't care that she has an MD or a DO, doctor of osteopathy. I don't care. They may have all the education. If you're wrong, you're wrong. It doesn't matter what your title is, what your degree is. There is a higher standard. There's a transcendent standard. And celebrating the 500th anniversary, mm. it's time for Protestants to get back to sola scriptura. Amen yeah. and amen. I agree. Amen. Hey, Jerry. Thank you very much, my brother. Thank Great you. call. You know, you know, Craig, which is something you had said it just resonates with me, and we we deal with it all the time when you were talking about you was talking to a, a, a female woman and that was claiming to be a pastor, and even though you wasn't uh, questioning her salvation be, because of that issue of her being a pastor, but some of the things that she was saying were uh, not biblically uh, correct and out of context. One of the things I think that we have to deal with, because I remember uh, the verse that they use about, you know, in Galatians where, every, you know, there's no longer this, uh, slave nor uh uh, Greek and free, and you know everyone's the same, or male or female, everyone's the same in Christ, which is dealing with a salvific issue, not dealing with uh, some kind of duty within the body of Christ in the church. Mm-hmm. And the the thing that 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 literally scares me in regards to anybody that would want to have a position that they were not called to do, that all the work they're going to do in that position, uh, when God, when those things get um, measured or, you know, or re- not refined, but when those things get judged by fire and they become, um, you know, the, that's how we're going to suffer that loss that we talk about in, in heaven because people are not doing the things for the right reason. They may be doing right, giving the word out, maybe even exegeting better than some men can do, but because they're doing it out of position. I believe there's going to be a lot of suffering of loss with everyone who's claiming to be a female pastor. And I'm only saying that because of what you had said, and now that it's our favorite subject. But uh, many people are going to suffer loss because they're doing the 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 right thing for the wrong reason or in the wrong position. So it's not a completed uh, situation sure. with God. Sure, Dale. And I, again, I'm going to reiterate one other thing I'm saying as well. But you're right in ethics, and I teach ethics as well to grad students. We talk about the three key aspects, doing the right thing the right way with the right reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, for an act to be done righteously, yes, <laughs> yes. we used to say that's righteous. You know? <laughs> uh, I know I'm dating myself here, but at any rate, um, <laughs> nonetheless, a good action, the right action that is praiseworthy, that is noble, is done the right way with the right motives. Um, with for, you know, for, for, or if you will, for the right reason. So we could want to take up a collection for brother so and so who's struggling. But what if I do it in a manner? We take up a collection, which is a good thing, and we mean well. Mm-hmm. But what if we embarrass him by publicly mentioning right. his difficulties in his culture? That's a shame. Yes. And so we've actually embarrassed him. We didn't mean to. We meant to help him. But so there is the case of doing the right thing with the right motives the wrong way. So all three are necessary. But, Daryl, so I, I agree with what you said, and I just want to say, though, but there's one more scenario again, one more time, and that is, but there are people who are called to the pastorate or ministry, uh, and or at least uh, they, they, can, they, they are called, they are allowed to do it, but they're not really uh, up to it. They, they don't really have the understanding. I've seen baby Christians. We see this in China all the time. There are people who I don't doubt love God, but they, they, they don't even have a Bible, hardly a Bible to study. Their theology is horrible. They believe in things that are just crazy, that are just flat-out wrong. Uh, and they say things about God and about Christianity that are just not true. 
I don't think they're doing it out of malice. I don't think they're doing it out of some type of wrong motivation. It's they don't know better, and yet they are sharing uh, the gospel. And they're often, if they can read, they're oftentimes they're the, you're the pastor because you can read, and the rest of us mm-hmm. can't read mm-hmm. in certain rural areas. That is sure, sure. So, so again, even if one uh, is entitled, uh, at least uh, can fulfill a position, let's say pastor or a deacon, if you will, or, or even let's say evangelist in the church. But one still needs to have the skill sets, the gifting of God, and the training to correctly to, to, to properly handle the Word of God. And there are just and I think it's one more time. It's so difficult when somebody really is a nice person. That is humanly speaking, somebody is really affable. They're really likable. They are. There are people that are enjoyable. At least I say I. You know, they're likable. Mm-hmm. I like this person. And yet I say, not very technically sound, their theology is whacked. They're crazy. This is nonsense. Uh, but I don't doubt I'm going to see them in heaven. I don't now doubt they love God. I one more time do not doubt their theology is nonsense. You know, and even in, even in something like that, the seriousness, the Bible even handles that. That's why I love the Word of God, because it gets right to the point. It's not, uh, it's not really rude or insulting. It just gets right to the point where it tells the people who are in position to lay hands on that person, to uh, validate that person. They say, don't you lay hands on a person like that. They tell the young person, not because you don't know anything, and you might not be as smart as the uh, older preacher that's there preaching, but because you're a novice, because you're a novice, uh, we don't want you to to be in leadership like that, not because we don't want it, but because the Word of God says it. God is dealing with us from a human perspective, dealing with us as the sinful human beings that we are, but even with His Holy Spirit, there's order in how we deal with the Word of God and how we deal with those things of church and the world unfortunately does a whole lot of things better in their construct of uh, the various ways they carry out their business than we do in the church, even though we have explicit instructions by the Lord. It's, you know, it's no, amazing. I, I know we spent a lot of time on a few questions, and then we'll pick up the pace greatly. Absolutely, now, on the other I side. I think John one one was a teaching point. John one one through one three, mm-hmm. and this issue of of the celebrityism in the church and of of I, I, that's so funny the way Jerry asked that question. I love that. <laughs> um, uh, the, uh, it's such a pervasive problem in the church. I'm so glad he asked it, and that's why. I pontificated so much. I waxed elephants, if you will, mm-hmm. is because it's such a it's so prevalent in, in, the, in the church. Okay, we have about about 45 seconds before we take the top of the hour break, and I'll just simply say this. Another side of the break, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to deal with the questions that people are called in at one la talks one 888 You're going to hear some stuff about what does it mean to meddle in somebody else's affairs who would be doing that, and what about the person that keep on sinning and sinning and asking for forgiveness and sinning and sinning and asking for forgiveness. How do we deal with that? What about the association with biblical counselors? Is there such a thing? We're going to deal with those questions and any other questions that you may have. Brian, have some more emails for you we're going to deal with. You hear the music. We're going to be going to the top of the hour break. So my name is Daryl E.C.D. Fulton with Professor Craig Hawkins, PCH, and our good friend Brian Allen. You can call Daryl. He's screening for us tonight, and we are the Bible Information Brokers. Please give us a call at one 888 talks one 888 or go to our website and send us an email question at BibleInfoBrokers.com and press contact us. We'll take a break now and be back after these messages. 